Section 16 of Elizabeth and Her German Garden by Elizabeth von Arnim. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section 16, January 28th. It is very cold, 15 degrees of frost, Romor, but perfectly delicious. Still bright weather, and one feels jolly and energetic and amiably disposed towards everybody. The two young ladies are still here, but the air is so buoyant that even they don't weigh on me any longer. And besides, they have both announced their approaching departure, so that after all I shall get my whitewashing done in peace, and the house will have on its clean pinafore in time to welcome the spring. Minora has painted my portrait and is going to present it as a parting gift to the man of wrath, and the fact that I let her do it and sat meekly times innumerable proves conclusively, I hope, that I am not vain. When Irais first saw it she laughed till she cried and at once commissioned her to paint hers so that she may take it away with her and give it to her husband on his birthday, which happens to be early in February. Indeed, if it were not for this birthday, I really think she would have forgotten to go at all. But birthdays are great and solemn festivals with us, never allowed to slip by unnoticed, and always celebrated in the presence of a sympathetic crowd of relations, gathered from far and near to tell you how well you are wearing, and that nobody would ever dream, and that really it is wonderful, who stand round a sort of sacrificial altar on which your years are offered up as a burnt offering to the gods in the shape of lighted pink and white candles stuck in a very large, flat, jammy cake. The cake with its candles is the chief feature, and on the table round it lie the gifts each person present is more or less bound to give. As my birthday falls in the winter, I get mittens as well as blotting books and photograph frames, and if it were in the summer, I should get photograph frames and blotting books and no mittens. But whatever the present may be, and by whomsoever given, it has to be welcomed with the noisiest gratitude and loudest exclamations of joy, and such works as Enstekend, Reisend, Herlich, Wundervoll, and Sus repeated over and over again until the unfortunate Gebertstead kind feels indeed that another year has gone and that she has grown older and wiser and more tired of folly and of vain repetitions. A flag is hoisted and all the morning the rites are celebrated, the cake eaten, health drunk, speeches made and hands nearly shaken off. The neighbouring parsons drive up and when nobody is looking, their wives count the candles in the cake. The active lady in the next schloss spares time to send a pot of flowers and to look at my age in the Gotha Almanac. A deputation comes from the farms, headed by the chief inspector, in white kid gloves, who invokes heaven's blessings on the gracious lady's head and the babies are enchanted and sit in a corner trying on all the mittens. In the evening there is a dinner for the relations and the chief local authorities with more health drinking and speechifying 
and the next morning when i come downstairs thankful to have done with it i am confused by the altar still in its place cake crumbs and candle grease and all because any hasty removal of it would imply a most lamentable want of sentiment deplorable in anybody but scandalous and disgusting in a tender female all birthdays are observed in this fashion and not a few wise persons go for a short trip just about the time theirs is due and i think i shall imitate them next year only trips to the country or seaside in december are not usually pleasant and if i go to a town there are sure to be relations in it and then the cake will spring up mushroom-like from the teeming soil of their affection i hope it has been made evident in these pages how superior i race and myself are to the ordinary weaknesses of mankind if any further proof were needed it is furnished by the fact that we both in defiance of tradition scorn this celebration of birthday rites years ago when i first knew her and long before we were either of us married i sent her a little brass candlestick on her birthday and when mine followed a few months later she sent me a notebook no notes were written in it and on her next birthday i presented it to her she thanked me profusely in the customary manner and when my turn came i received the brass candlestick since then we alternately enjoy the possession of each of these articles and the present question is comfortably settled once and for all at a minimum of trouble and expense we never mention this little arrangement except at the proper time when we send a letter of fervid thanks this radiant weather when mere living is a joy and sitting still over the fire out of the question has been going on for more than a week sleighing and skating have been our chief occupations especially skating which is more than usually fascinating here because the place is intersected by small canals communicating with a lake and the river belonging to the lake and as everything is frozen black and hard we can skate for miles straight ahead without being obliged to turn round and come back again at all times an annoying and even mortifying proceeding i race skates beautifully modesty is the only obstacle to my saying the same of myself but i may remark that all germans skate well for the simple reason that every year of their lives for three or four months they may do it as much as they like Minora was astonished and disconcerted by finding herself left behind and arriving at the place where tea meets us half an hour after we had finished in some places the banks of the canals are so high that only our heads appear with the fields and it is as Minora noted in her book a curious sight to see three female heads skimming along apparently by themselves and enjoying it tremendously when the banks are low we appeared to be gliding deliciously over the roughest ploughed fields with or without legs according to circumstances before we start i fix on the place where tea and a sleigh are to meet us and we drive home again because skating against the wind is as detestable as skating with it is delightful and an unkind nature arranges its blowing without the smallest regard for our convenience yesterday by way of a change we went for a picnic to the shores of the baltic ice-bound at this season and utterly desolate at our nearest point i have a weakness for picnics especially in winter when the mosquitoes cease from troubling and the ant-hills are at rest 
and of all my many favourite picnic spots, this one on the Baltic is the loveliest and best. As it is a three hours drive, the man of wrath is loud in his lamentations when the special sort of weather comes, which means as experience has taught him this particular excursion. There must be deep snow, hard frost, no wind, and a cloudless sky, and when, on waking up, I see these conditions fulfilled, then it would need some very potent reason to keep me from having out a sleigh and going off. It is, I admit, a hard day for the horses, but why have horses if they are not to take you where you want to go, and at the time you want to go? And why should not horses have hard days as well as everybody else? The man of wrath loathes picnics, and has no eye for nature and frozen seas, and is simply bored by a long drive through a forest that does not belong to him. A single turnip on his own place is more admirable in his eyes than the tallest, pinkest, straightest pine that ever reared its snow-crowned head against the setting sunlight. Now observe the superiority of woman who sees that both are good, and after having gazed at the pine and been made happy by its beauty, goes home and placidly eats the turnip. He went once and only once to this particular place, and made us feel so small by his blast behaviour that I never invite him now. It is a beautiful spot, endless forest stretching along the shore as far as the eye can reach. And after driving through it for miles, you come suddenly at the end of an avenue of arching trees upon the glistening oily sea, with the orange-coloured sails of distant fishing smacks shilling in the sunlight. Whenever I have been there, it has been windless weather, and the silence so profound that I could hear my pulses beating. The humming of insects and the sudden scream of a jay are the only sounds in summer, and in winter, the stillness is the stillness of death. Every paradise has its serpent, however, and this one is so infested by mosquitoes during the season when picnics seem most natural that those of my visitors who have been taken there for a treat have invariably lost their tempers and made the quiet shores ring with their wailings and lamentations. These despicable but irritating insects don't seem to have anything to do but to sit in multitudes on the sand, waiting for any prey providence may send to them, and as soon as the carriage appears they rise up in a cloud and rush to meet us, almost dragging us out bodily, and never leave us until we drive away again. The sudden view of the sea from the messy, pine-covered height directly above it where we picnic, the wonderful stretch of lonely shore with the forest to the water's edge, the coloured sails in the blue distance, the freshness, the brightness, the vastness, all is lost upon the picnickers, and made worse than indifferent to them by the perpetual necessity they are under of fighting these horrid creatures. It is nice being the only person who ever goes there or shows it to anybody. But if more people went, perhaps the mosquitoes would be less lean and hungry and pleased to see us. It has, however, the advantage of being a suitable place to which to take refractory visitors when they have stayed too long or left my books out in the garden all night or otherwise made their presence a burden too grievous to be borne. Then, one fine hot morning, when they are all looking limp, I suddenly propose a picnic on the Baltic. I have never known this proposal to fail to be greeted with exclamations of surprise and delight. 
the baltic you never told us you were within driving distance how heavenly to get a breath of sea air on a day like this the very thought puts new life into one and how delightful to see the baltic oh please take us and then i take them but on a brilliant winter's day my conscience is as clear as the frosty air itself and yesterday morning we started off in the gayest of spirits even minora being disposed to laugh immoderately on the least provocation only our eyes were allowed to peep out from the fur and woollen wrappings necessary to our heads if we would come back with our ears and noses in the same places they were in when we started and for the first two miles the mirth created by each other's strange appearance was uproarious a fact i mentioned merely to show what an effect dry bright intense cold produces on healthy bodies and how much better it is to go out in it and enjoy it than to stay indoors and sulk as we passed through the neighbouring village with cracking of whip and jingling of bells heads popped up at the windows to stare and the only living thing in the silent sunny street was a melancholy fowl with ruffled feathers which looked at us reproachfully as we dashed with so much energy over the crackling snow oh foolish bird i race called out as we passed you'll be indeed a cold fowl if you stand there motionless and every one prefers them hot in weather like this and then we all laughed exceedingly as though the most splendid joke had been made and before we had done we were out of the village and in the open country beyond and could see my house and garden far away behind glittering in the sunshine and in front of us lay the forest with its vistas of pines stretching away into infinity and a drive through it of fourteen miles before we reached the sea it was a hoar-frost day, and the forest was an enchanted forest leading into fairyland, and though Irace and I have been there often before, and always thought it beautiful, yet yesterday we stood under the final arch of frosted trees, struck silent by the sheer loveliness of the place. For a long way out the sea was frozen, and then there was a deep blue line and a cluster of motionless orange sails at our feet, a narrow strip of pale yellow sand, right and left the line of sparkling forest, and we ourselves standing in a world of white and diamond traceries. The stillness of an eternal Sunday lay on the place like a benediction. Minora broke the silence by remarking that Dresden was pretty, but she thought this beat it almost. I don't quite see said i raced in a hushed voice as though she were in a holy place how the two can be compared yes dresden is more convenient of course replied minora after which we turned away and thought we would keep her quiet by feeding her so we went back to the sleigh and had the horses taken out and their clothes put on and they were walked up and down a distant glade while we sat in the sleigh and picnicked it's a hard day for the horses nearly thirty miles there and back and no stable in the middle but they are so fat and spoiled that it cannot do them much harm sometimes to taste the bitterness of life i warmed soup in a little apparatus i have for such occasions which help to take the chilliness off the sandwiches this is the only unpleasant part of a winter picnic the clammy quality of the provisions just when you most long for something very hot Minora let her nose very carefully out of its wrappings, took a mouthful, and covered it up quickly again. 
She was nervous lest it should be frost-nipped, and the truth compels me to add that her nose is not a bad nose and might even be pretty on anybody else. But she does not know how to carry it, and there is an art in the angle at which one's nose is held, just as in everything else, and really noses were intended for something besides mere blowing. It is the most difficult thing in the world to eat sandwiches with immense fur and woolen gloves on, and I think we ate almost as much fur as anything, and choked exceedingly during the process. Minora was angry at this, and at last pulled off her glove, but quickly put it on again. How very unpleasant, she remarked after swallowing a large piece of fur. It will wrap round your pipes and keep them warm, said Irace. Pipes? echoed Minora, greatly disgusted by such vulgarity. I'm afraid I can't help you, I said as she continued to choke and splutter. We are all in the same case, and I don't know how to alter it. There are such things as forks, I suppose, snapped Minora. That's true, said I, crushed by the obviousness of the remedy. But of what use are forks if they are fifteen miles off? So Minora had to continue to eat her gloves. By the time we had finished, the sun was already low behind the trees, and the clouds beginning to flush a faint pink. The old coachman was given sandwiches and soup, and while he led the horses up and down with one hand and held his lunch in the other, we packed up, or to be correct, I packed, and the others looked on and gave me valuable advice. The coachman, Peter by name, is seventy years old, and was born on the place, and has driven its occupants for fifty years, and I am nearly as fond of him as I am of the sundial. Indeed, I don't know what I should do without him. So entirely does he appear, to understand and approve of my tastes and wishes. No drive is too long or difficult for the horses if I want to take it. No place impossible to reach if I want to go to it. No weather or roads too bad to prevent my going out if I wish to. To all my suggestions he responds with the readiest cheerfulness and smooths away all objections raised by the man of wrath who rewards his alacrity in doing my pleasure by speaking of him as an altar essel. In the summer, on fine evenings, I love to drive late and alone in the scented forests, and when I have reached a dark part, stop and sit quite still, listening to the nightingales repeating their little tune over and over again, after interludes of gurgling, or if there are no nightingales, listening to the marvellous silence, and letting its blessedness descend into my very soul. The nightingales in the forest about here all sing the same tune and in the same key, E-flat. I don't know whether all nightingales do this, or if it is peculiar to this particular spot. When they have sung it once, they clear their throats a little and hesitate and then do it again, and it is the prettiest little song in the world. How could I indulge my passion for these drives with their pauses without Peter? He is so used to them that he stops now at the right moment, without having to be told, and he is ready to drive me all night if I wish it, with no sign of anything but cheerful willingness on his nice old face. The man of wrath deplores these 
eccentric tastes, as he calls them, of mine, but has given up trying to prevent me indulging them, because while he is deploringly in one part of the house, I have slipped out at a door in the other, and am gone before he can catch me, and have reached and am lost in the shadows of the forest by the time he has discovered that I am nowhere to be found. The brightness of Peter's perfections are solid, however, by one spot, and that is that as age creeps upon him, he not only cannot hold the horses in if they don't want to be held in, but he goes to sleep sometimes on his box if I have him out too soon after lunch and has upset me twice within the last year. Once last winter out of a sleigh, and once this summer, when the horses shied to bicycle and bolted into the ditch on one side of the chassis, German for high road, and the bicycle was so terrified at the horse's shine that it shied too into the ditch on the other side, and the carriage was smashed, and the bicycle was smashed, and we were all very unhappy, except Peter, who never lost his pleasant smile, and looked so placid that my tongue claved to the roof of my mouth when I tried to make it scold him. But I should think he ought to have been thoroughly scolded on an occasion like that said Minora, to whom I had been telling this story as we wandered on the yellow sands while the horses were being put in the sleigh, and she glanced nervously up at Peter, whose marred head was visible between the bushes above us. "'Shall we get home before dark?' she asked. The sun had altogether disappeared behind the pines, and only the very highest of the little clouds were still pink. Out at sea the mists were creeping up, and the sails of the fishing smacks had turned a dull brown. A flight of wild geese passed across the disk of the moon with loud cacklings. "'Before dark?' echoed Iris. "'I should think not. It is dark now nearly in the forest, and we shall have the loveliest moonlight drive back. But it is surely very dangerous to let a man who goes to sleep drive you,' said Minora apprehensively. "'But it's such an old dear,' I said. "'Yes, yes, no doubt,' she replied tastily. But there are wakeful old dears to be had, and on a box they are preferable. Iris laughed. You are growing quite amusing, Miss Minora, she said. He isn't on a box today, said I, and I never knew him to go to sleep standing up behind us on a sleigh. But Minora was not to be appeased, and muttered something about seeing no fun in foolhardiness, which shows how alarmed she was, for it was rude. Peter, however, behaved beautifully on the way home, and Irace and I at least were as happy as possible driving back, with all the glories of the western sky flashing at us every now and then at the end of a long avenue as we swiftly passed, and later on when they had faded, myriads of stars in the narrow black strip of sky over our heads. It was bitterly cold, and Minora was silent, and not in the least inclined to laugh with us as she had been six hours before. "'Have you enjoyed yourself, Miss Minora?' inquired Iris, as we got out of the forest onto the Chelsea, and the lights of the village before ours twinkled in the distance. "'How many degrees do you suppose there are now?' was Minora's reply to this question. "'Degrees? Of frost? Oh, dear me, are you cold?' cried Iris solicitously. "'Well, it isn't exactly warm, is it?' said Minora sulkily, and Iris pinched me. Well, but think how much colder you would have been without all that fur you ate for lunch inside you, she said. And what a nice chapter you will be able to write about the Baltic, said I. 
Why, it is practically certain that you are the first English person who has ever been to just this part of it. Isn't there some English poem, said Irais, about being the first who ever burst into that silent sea, finished Minora hastily. You can't quote that without its context, you know. But I wasn't going to, said Irais meekly. I only paused to breathe. I must breathe, or perhaps I might die. The lights from my energetic friend's schloss shone brightly down upon us as we passed round the base of the hill on which it stands. She is very proud of this hill, as well she may be, seeing that it is the only one in the whole district. Do you never go there? asked Minora, jerking her head in the direction of the house. Sometimes she is a very busy woman, and I should feel I was in the way if I went often. It would be interesting to see another North German interior, said Minora, and I should be obliged if you would take me. But I can't fall upon her suddenly with a strange girl, I protested, and we are not at all on such intimate terms as to justify my taking all my visitors to see her. What do you want to see another interior for? said Irais. I can tell you what it's like, and if you went nobody would speak to you, and if you were to ask questions and began to take notes, the good lady would stare at you in the frankest amazement and think Elizabeth had brought a young lunatic out for an airing. Everybody is not as patient as Elizabeth, added Irais, anxious to pay off old scores. I would do a great deal for you, Minora, I said, but I can't do that. If we went, said Irais, Elizabeth and I would be placed with great ceremony on a sofa behind a large polished oval table with a crochet mat in the centre. It has got a crochet mat in the centre, hasn't it? I nodded. And you would sit on one of the four little podgy, buttony, tassely red chairs that are ranged on the other side of the table facing the sofa. They are red, Elizabeth. Again I nodded. The floor is painted yellow and there is no carpet except a rug in front of the sofa. The paper is dark chocolate colour, almost black. That is in order that after years of use the dirt may not show, and the room need not be done up. Dirt is like wickedness, you see, Miss Minora. It being there never matters. It is only when it shows so much as to be apparent to everybody that we are ashamed of it. At intervals around the high walls are chairs and cabinets with lamps on them, and in one corner is a great white cold stove, or is it a majolica? she asked, turning to me. No, it is white. There are a great many lovely big windows all ready to let in the air and the sun, but they are as carefully covered with brown lace curtains under heavy stuffed ones as though a whole row of houses were just opposite, with peering eyes at every window trying to look in instead of there only being fields and trees and birds. No fire no sunlight, no books, no flowers, but a consoling smell of red cabbage coming up under the door, mixed in due season with soap studs. When did you go there? asked Minora. Ah, when did I go there indeed? When did I not go there? I have been calling there all my life. Minora's eyes rolled doubtfully first at me, then at Irais from the depths of her head wrappings. They are large eyes with long dark eyelashes, and far be it from me to deny that each eye taken by itself is fine, but they are put in all wrong. The only thing you would learn there, went on I race, would be the significance of sofa corners in Germany. 
If we three went there together, I should be ushered into the right-hand corner of the sofa, because it is the place of honour and I am the greatest stranger. Elizabeth would be invited to seat herself in the left-hand corner, and next in importance, the hostess would sit near us in an armchair, and you, as a person of no importance whatever, would either be left to sit where you could, or would be put on a chair facing us, and with the entire breadth of the table between us, to mark the immense social gulf that separates the married woman from the mere virgin. These sofa corners make the drawing of nice distinctions possible, in a way that nothing else could. The world might come to an end and create less sensation in doing it than you would, Miss Minora, if by any chance you got into the right-hand corner of one. That you were put on a chair on the other side of the table places you at once in the scale of precedence and exactly defines your social position, or rather your complete want of a social position. And Irais tilted her nose ever so little heavenwards. Note it, she said, as the heading of your next chapter. Note what? asked Minora impatiently. Why, the subtle significance of sofas, of course replied Irais. If, she continued, as Minora made no reply appreciative of this suggestion, you were to call unexpectedly, the bad luck which pursues the innocent would most likely make you hit on a washing day, and the distracted mistress of the house would keep you waiting in the cold room so long while she changed her dress that you would begin to fear you were to be left to perish from want and hunger and when she did appear, would show by the bitterness of her welcoming smile the rage that was boiling in her heart. But what has the mistress of the house to do with washing? What has she to do with washing? Oh, you sweet innocent! Pardon my familiarity, but such ignorance of country life customs is very touching in one who is writing a book about them. Oh, I have no doubt I am very ignorant, said Minora loftily. Seasons of washing, explained Irais, are seasons set apart by the housefrau to be kept holy. They only occur every two or three months, and while they are going on the whole house is in uproar. Every other consideration sacrificed, husband and children sunk into insignificance, and no one approaching or interfering with the mistress of the house during these days of purification but at their peril. You don't really mean, said Minora, that you only wash your clothes four times a year. Yes, I do mean it, replied Irais. Well, I think that is very disgusting, said Minora emphatically. Irais raised those pretty delicate eyebrows of hers. Then you must take care and not marry a German, she said. But what is the object of it, went on Minora. Why to clean the linen, I suppose. Yes, yes, but why only at such long intervals? It is an outward and visible sign of vast possessions in the shape of linen. If you were to want to have your clothes washed every week, as you do in England, you would be put down as a person who only has just enough to last that length of time, and would be an object of general contempt. But I should be a clean object, cried Minora, and my house would not be full of accumulated dirt. We said nothing. There was nothing to be said. It must be a happy land, that England of yours. Irais remarked, after a while with a sigh, a beautific vision no doubt presenting itself to her mind of a land full of washerwomen and agile gentlemen darting at door-handles. It's a clean land at any rate, replied Minora. I don't want to go and live in it, 
I said, for we were driving up to the house, and a memory of fogs and umbrellas came into my mind as I looked up fondly at its dear old west front, and I felt that what I want is to live and die just here, and that there never was such a happy woman as Elizabeth. End of section 16